There have been a lot of announcements made recently, and I know there are a lot of events that we're excited about here at Lehman. I just want to give you one more, and it's in connection with something that David mentioned in the prayer a moment ago. He talked about souls and individuals that we hope to reach in the new year and how we want to have our hearts focused and the boldness and the courage to petition God on their behalf. And I just want to remind you that last Sunday morning, we gave you those slips to fill out about sermon ideas and souls that are on your mind. If you lost yours or left it in the pew, we still have some out there, but just go ahead and fill those out and be sure to put it in the question and answer box because on the fourth Sunday nights we will be engaged in a special prayer service for those that we hope to reach and the more names and people that we can be praying for in our area we believe God will answer and honor those prayers as we seek to reach out and seek and save the lost. The book of James has been referred to in many ways and talked about in various facets. Some people have said that the book of James is really the Proverbs of the New Testament because of its emphasis on wisdom. James mentions wisdom in chapter one and verse five and several times throughout chapter three. Other people have said, no, you know, the book of James really parallels the Sermon on the Mount. If you put them side by side, many of the ideas that Jesus expressed in Matthew chapter five, chapter six and chapter seven, they resurface in the book of James. Martin Luther had issues with the book of James because of his practical emphasis on works and being doers of the word. And he called it a right strawy epistle. And when he translated the New Testament, he just stuck it in the back sort of as an appendix. But if you read the book of James, you know, it can't be ignored. It can't be brushed aside. It's a powerful book because it's practical and it's really the Monday through Saturday book. It gets right down to where we live. But one of the themes that runs throughout the book of James and all of its practicality is the issue of prayer, the subject of prayer. In just about every chapter in the book of James, directly or indirectly, James mentions prayer, how we talk to God or how we shouldn't be talking to God or the things that should really be on our hearts and on our minds. And this isn't a surprise. We should be praying because it's right and God knows everything and God put that in the book. But we also should be praying because no matter how busy, how confusing or how difficult our lives are, they all circle back to the same basic themes over and over again. The spiritual disciplines, one of which involves prayer. And James tells us in several places, how do we do it? Sometime last year, I preached on the model prayer that Jesus gives in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. And in that prayer, Jesus gives us a framework, some basic things that you and I should be including as we offer up prayer to God. And that's right. And if that's all we had, we have enough. But the New Testament, it gives us more. And so as we turn our Bible to the book of James, and if you have your copy of God's word, go ahead and turn to James chapter one tonight. We should appreciate how important prayer is and what James seeks to teach us about it. Ian Mound said that prayer is not learned in the classroom, but in the closet. C.S. Lewis said, I pray because I have to pray. I need to pray. He says it's like waking up and like breathing. I need prayer. It doesn't change God, but it changes me. Philip Brooks says prayer is not really about laying hold on God's reluctance. It's about laying hold on God's willingness. God wants to help. And Ronald Dunn says, you know, prayer in the end is not about getting our will done in heaven. It's about getting God's will done on earth. And so we need to be people of prayer. But you already knew that. You already know. First Thessalonians 517, pray incessantly or be consistent in prayer. Romans 12, 12. And in everything with prayer and supplication, make sure that you offer up your prayers and supplications to God. We know those passages. And yet, James says, I've got more practicality and he's going to make it simple for us tonight. The things we're going to talk about tonight aren't things that you're going to have to wait a little while before you can put into practice. 
These are things that you and I can put into practice this very night. The things that James teaches us about prayer, they're so down to earth and so simple that every one of us can adopt them and have our spiritual lives transformed and updated even as we speak. James mentioned six things about prayer that I can see in the epistle and the things that he mentions will help us to be the people God would have us to be. Here's number one. James says, when you pray, pray in faith. Right after mentioning the trials that we have in James one, two through four, he shifts and his focus is on prayer. He says, if any of you like wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men freely and independent on your translation. You may have something like without reproach or who upbraids not, but he gives freely, he says. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering or doubting, for he that wavers or doubts is like a wave of the sea driven by the wind or tossed. Let not that person think he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double minded man, unstable in all his ways. Number one, James says, when you pray, it's important that you ask God for what you need. But just as important as the petition is how we go about it. And James says one of the things that should make up the criteria in our prayers is that we ask in faith with nothing wavering. I don't know how much interaction you've had with Mormons, but if you ever encounter them, they're going to turn to James chapter one and verse five and they'll knock on your door and they're kind and good people. And I don't mean to malign them or embarrass them, but they'll say, if you just pray James one and verse five and ask for wisdom, God's going to reveal it to you that the book of Mormon is really from God. You should try it. And the fact is, that's not what James is talking about. James says, pray to God, petition him for wisdom and he will give it through his word. Through practical circumstances as we apply the principles found therein. But James says, first, you've got to be willing and able and desiring to ask him. And it matters how we approach him and it matters how we pray. He says, I want you to do it in faith. And notice what the text says, who gives to all men freely and without reproach. And underline this at the end of verse five. This is a guarantee from God about wisdom. But I would argue about several other things in Scripture, James says, and it will be given to him. What does James mean when he says God gives to all men freely and doesn't reproach or doesn't upbraid? The old King James says this means that when you and I pray to God and we pray in faith, God doesn't scold us and say, well, oh, it's you again. Oh, you weakling, you always are begging for something. You always need more help. No, when we approach God in prayer, he gives to all freely without reproaching, meaning that when we come to God, we're more likely to find this response. How can I help you? First John five and verse 14, John says, and this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us and whatever we ask, we have the petitions that we've desired of him. James says, but you've got to pray believing, because if you don't, you'll be like a wave of the sea driven by the wind and tossed and you won't receive anything from the Lord. We want to be people of prayer and we need to be. But James says, ask in faith or don't ask at all. How many times in the Gospels does Jesus rebuke his disciples on this very point? Oh, you have little faith. Matthew 8, 26. Peter, you could have walked on water. Matthew 14, 31. Why did you lose faith? Jesus is concerned with our confidence in him and whether or not we think he can ultimately do what he's promised that he will. And so when we pray, God examines us to see if we truly and really believe it is not the case that God needs our faith to deliver what he promises. That's not what this is about at all. But God will not reward our faithlessness lest he ruin us in everything. If we're double minded, James says in James one and verse eight, we'll be unstable in all of our ways. And the last thing that God wants to do is to confuse us about what faithfulness looks like if we don't have faith and we petition God for things and we really don't believe that he's going to give it to us and he were to give it to us anyway. That would be disastrous for us because we wouldn't know who to thank or who to credit and it ruin our relationship with God. James says, when you pray, pray in faith. 
Did you know that everybody prays? I mean, everybody in the world practices prayer. I was doing some research on this, and they said even atheists pray to God. They pray to somebody. In one article, it was talking about how you can pray even as an atheist. And the way the article went, it went something like this. The author said, listen, if you're an atheist, you can pray whether you believe in God or not. It's just like singing in the car or in the shower. Nobody's listening, and it doesn't matter anyway. And if you just think about that for a minute, the, the attitude, the, the idea is actually pretty ludicrous. Imagine somebody saying to you, you can just sit in your car. The battery's dead. You don't have any gas. But just imagine you're traveling somewhere and just the thrill and the excitement of that imagining. It'll be joyous. Or the power's out at your house, no electricity. But just imagine something's on the TV. Just point and laugh and pretend and it'll be a grand time. No, we sing in the shower and in the car because the lyrics are real and they're not imagined. We don't pray because we hope somebody's listening. We pray because we know that he is. And so David says in Psalm 65 and verse two, oh, to you who hears prayers, all flesh will approach and come because God does hear us. When you pray to God about things and you say, well, I didn't get what I wanted. God didn't reward my prayer the way I thought that he should. There might be many reasons. But one of the reasons that we shouldn't overlook is maybe we didn't believe that he would to begin with. Jesus says all things that you pray, if you believe, you will receive. Of course, that's in accord with God's will. Matthew 21 and verse 22. But faith and confidence and trust that God will do what he says is a prerequisite for our prayers to be heard and to be honored by God. And so he says, I want you to pray in faith. This doesn't mean that if we have any type of doubt or reluctance, we should just forego prayer altogether. But it does mean every prayer that we pray, even those where we're struggling to believe that it can happen, we should end those prayers just like the father that was in great need in the Gospels who said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Mark 9, 23 and 24. But we've got to pray boldly and in faith. Neither does this mean if we don't get our petitions answered that it's because we didn't have enough faith. But it does mean every single time we pray, we should always pray anticipating that he will say yes. Or why pray at all? Furthermore, we've all received far more yeses than no's in our life. And so we know he's good. And even his no's are for our benefit. And so when we pray, James says, if you're going to go to God, you need to go in faith. Now, here's number two. What does James teach us about prayer? He says consistent speech is necessary. Go to chapter three. In James chapter three, the primary focus is on our speech. He says the tongue is like a fire. It's a world of iniquity. It can't be tamed. James three, verse two and verse eight. He says it sets on fire. The course of nature is set on fire by hell. It destroys and ruins and wrecks relationships. It's like a wild animal. You can't tame the tongue. And you might read the description of speech in James chapter three and get the idea that it's really all a loss. Nobody can control what they say. And then James says we can. There is hope. And he introduces that hope in verse nine. He says, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with that same tongue, we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing my brothers. This ought not to be so. James says we can control our tongues. And proof of it is notice how you talk to God. When you want something from God, when you want to approach God, your speech is consistent. It's always holy and righteous and pure. But then you take that same speech, that same tongue, and you cut down others. The primary focus of James chapter three isn't prayer, but he gets around to it as he says, if you're going to approach God, make sure that your speech is consistent. The word that James uses in James three and verse nine for with it, we bless God. It's the same word used throughout the New Testament most often for prayer. It's what Zechariah said in Luke one and verse 64. He opened his mouth when John was born and blessed God. 
It's the same word used in Luke chapter two. When Simeon saw the young Christ come into the temple, Luke 2:28 says he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and says, now I have seen the consolation of Israel. James says we do that with our tongues. And then we take the same speech that we just used in prayer to God. And then we curse those made in his image. But James is saying, don't you know, God's listening to how we talk to him and how we talk to those who are made in his image. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 Genesis 5 and verse 1, Genesis 9 and verse 6 all say that human beings, no matter who they are, no matter where they're from, they're all made in the image of God. And James says, if you're going to pray to God, that's great. But if you're going to talk about how high and holy and pure and blameless he is and he is all of those things, be sure that you talk to people who are made in his image in a way that honors him as well, because flattery won't fool God. He knows what's really in our hearts and who we are. And so John says in 1 John 4, 20 and 21, if you say that you love God whom you haven't seen, but hate your brother whom you have seen, you're a liar. If a man loves God who he hasn't seen, he must love his brother whom he has seen. James says when you pray, make sure that your speech is consistent, that you talk the same way all the time because God's listening and God's paying attention. God cares about how we talk about fellow image bearers, and he's examining our hearts to see whether or not we're truly going to be consistent. How would Coca-Cola's company go if every time you cracked a can, something different came out? I mean, what if sometimes you cracked a can and orange juice came out? And other times you cracked a can and milk came out. And other times you opened it and coffee came out. Well, some of you might like that. But for those people that want Coke, even if it was red, it said Coca-Cola on the outside. If something different came out every single time you opened a can of Coke, you say it's inconsistent. It's independable. You never know what you're going to get. It says Coca-Cola, but there's always this unwanted surprise. But the reality is, no matter where you go in the world, no matter where you've been in the world, Coca-Cola is Coca-Cola. They're the largest non-alcoholic beverage company in the world. They're in 200 countries and in, in different territories. Wherever you go, you find Coca-Cola. I was on a mission trip in Peru in 2019, and there was this big billboard. And you know what it said? It said Coca-Cola. I was in Ghana, West Africa in 2017 on a mission trip, and we wanted a little taste of America after having been there for a week and a half. And somebody said, I can show you where to get Coca-Colas. And we went. They didn't speak English. But you know, when we said Coca-Cola, they understood what we meant. They always do. Coca-Cola is Coca-Cola. There's a predictable consistency about Coke. And what James is saying is this. When it comes to prayer to almighty God, there ought to be a certain consistency about our speech. God ought to be able to go to the fountain of our well and hear the same people who pray to him with these lavish and highly religious and deeply theological terms come into brothers and sisters and strangers and neighbors with that very same consistency. He doesn't really want any surprises. And so James says, when you pray, make sure that it's consistent. Because God is listening to how we talk to him, but also how we talk to others. I mean, you've called companies before, and when you get on the phone with them, you are met by this automated computer. And you have to tell it that you want to speak to a human, and you know what they say when you do that. This call is being recorded for quality assurance purposes, a.k.a. we are recording you, and thank you for your permission. But what if there's a, a label on every Christian tongue? You're being recorded. For quality Christian purposes, God wants to be sure that you really are the real deal. He wants to know that you are who you claim to be. And does your speech measure up? Are you the same all the time? James says when we pray, there ought to be a certain consistency because God doesn't want to hear from people who talk one way and then talk a different way in front of other people. Sometimes preachers are taught in homiletics courses when it comes to preaching. Do not have a preaching voice. 
That means when you get up to preach, talk like you talk to other people. Don't get a microphone and then just sort of transform and talk in a different way. You may vary your tone or your pitch, but be the same person all the time. Don't go into preacher mode and have a preaching voice. But the question for those of us who aren't preachers tonight is this. Do you have a praying voice? That is, do you talk one way normally Monday through Saturday or out in public with other people? And then when you get behind closed doors and you're praying to God, does your language just sort of change? All of a sudden you're deeply spiritual and deeply religious. We won't fool him. So James says, I want you to be consistent. Here's number three. James says in prayer, if it's going to go the way you want and if it's going to honor God, we must ask in order to receive. James four and verse two, he says about you fight and you murder and you quarrel and you're at odds with one another. He says you have not because you ask not. This is borrowing from the Sermon on the Mount. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew seven, seven through eleven. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and it'll be open. Everyone that asks receives. And those that seek find and to the one that knocks is open. Which one of you having a son, if he were to ask for bread, would give him a stone or if he were to ask for a fish, would give him a serpent? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those that ask him? Jesus says, if you want it, petition God. And he often provides. And James reverses that. And he says, the reason why you don't have the things that you need is because you don't ask God. What does James teach us about prayer? Always pray in faith. Number two, make sure that your prayer is consistent with the way that you talk to other people. But number three, James says, if you want something from God, you're going to have to come out and tell him. This is impressive because God knows everything. And yet God wants us to come out and say it with our mouths, not for his benefit, but for ours. He wants us to come to him and ask him. Listen, there is nothing humble or spiritual about having needs and refusing to go to the God who says I'll provide for your needs. There's nothing spiritual about that. In Isaiah chapter seven, Syria and Ephraim, they get together and they make an alliance against Judah. And Ahaz is terrified. And God says, don't worry, they won't harm you. They won't shoot an arrow in this place. God says, as a matter of fact, Ahaz, to prove to you that I'm going to do what I said I'll do, just ask me for a sign. In fact, you can make it as high as heaven or as low as Sheol. Say whatever you want. Name your price. I promise you I'm with you. And Ahaz says, no, God, I won't ask you for a sign. It wasn't because he was a man of faith. It's because he was a coward who trusted in himself and in idolatry. And God says, because of that, I'll make my own sign, but I won't reward you in the process. If we want something from God, God says, I want you to be open and honest about your needs. And I want you to ask me now. You've got to answer this for yourself tonight. How many things in your life might God have blessed you with throughout the years, but you just didn't have the courage to ask him? You never opened up your mouth and said, God, this is what I need. This is what I want from you. I really need your help. And there may be all sorts of reasons why we sort of tiptoe around this one, because maybe we say to ourselves, well, we don't want to be let down. And so we don't ask God because in the end, you know, we may not get what we want. And we've been let down so much in our lives. The last thing we want to do is get our hopes up. And so if we can fool ourselves into thinking, well, I don't really care how this goes. If I get it, I get it. If I don't, I don't. I just rather not pray about it. That way I won't have any skin in the game. We're deceiving ourselves. We're Christians. It's our responsibility to get our hopes up and keep them up. Romans 12 and verse 12. We need to tell God what we need. But there are at least three reasons why we wouldn't. And all of them. Our reproach on deity. Reason number one, we might say, well, you know what? I've got needs, but I don't really get into asking God because, you know, God, he could do it. He's got the power, but he's stingy. He's tight fisted. He's the opposite of what James one in verse five says. He doesn't give freely. He probably is going to say no anyway. When my kids were younger, they would do that. They come to me sometimes and they say, Dad, I've got to ask you something. You're probably going to say no. But and I'd say, well, why are you asking me if I'm going to say no? 
Reason number two, we say, well, God wants to give it. And God's benevolent. And God would help me. But he just doesn't have the power. And I'd hate to embarrass him. But Paul says that can't be true. Because he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that you ask or even think. Neil talked about abounding this morning from Ephesians 3 and verse 20. He's not limited on resources. Or maybe worst of all, number three, we say, I wouldn't petition God about this because in this area of my life, I really don't need to. I've got this one. I don't really need his help. I'll call him for the big things. I'll bring in the big reinforcements and the big guns when it's something beyond my control. But what we forget is it's all beyond our control. Without me, Jesus says, you can do nothing, John 15 and verse 5. And so James says, you're empty handed because you don't ask him. Ask and you will receive. He wants us to petition him for whatever it is that we need. He'll do the deciding of whether or not we get it. But it's up to us to be open and honest. What are your needs? Jesus says, I want you to tell me. It's impressive. You read throughout the Gospels and sometimes Jesus sees people in need and he just comes up and heals and he helps. But there are other times when Jesus is just going about his business and he can hear the cry and the call of faith. David, son of David, Jesus, have mercy on us. And sometimes the apostles would try to quiet folks down. Sometimes they say, listen, we've got other things to do. And Jesus would sort of pause as if to say, what is that? I hear the cry of faith. Who is that? And can I help you? They'd say to people like Bartimaeus, he's calling for you. Get up and go and see what he wants. And he'd say, do you believe I can do this? They say, yes, we believe. Let it be done to you according to your faith. Matthew 9, 27 through 30. You know why he was healed? You know why he was helped? Yes, Jesus had the ability, but he actually opened his mouth and he told Jesus what he wanted. How many lepers, how many blind people, how many paralyzed people lived in the first century and never got what they wanted? The son of God in the flesh was healing scores of people and they never opened their mouth and said a word. James says, if you're going to get prayer right, if we're going to get prayer right, you're going to have to tell God what you want. You're going to have to be open and honest and ask him. Sunday school teacher asked the girl one time, do you say your prayers every night? She said, no, because some nights I don't want anything. (laughs) Well, you know what? It's all right to pray even when we don't want anything, but it's also all right to pray when we do. The Bible says that we can. And God wants to hear from us. He wants to hear our requests. He wants us to come before him. I'm impressed with David in 2 Samuel chapter 12. You know, David, he made a mistake in 2 Samuel 11. He committed adultery and murder with another man's wife. And God tells him in 2 Samuel 12, you're the sinner I'm talking about. And not only that, because of your sin, the child will die. You know what David did? He begged God anyway. He didn't eat anything. He fasted. And then when the child finally died, the servants, the elders of the city, they were afraid to come in and tell David. And they went in and told him he took a bath, shaved and washed himself and went on with things. They said, David, what's happening here? We thought you'd go crazy. You were distraught when the child was sick. He said, you don't get it. I petitioned God when the child was sick, because who knows? Maybe just maybe God would have reversed things and had compassion and mercy. You know, he does that kind of thing. But now that his will has been done, I'll go to the child, but he won't come again to me. David was saying, I know what he said, but I've got a need and I'm going to beg him and ask him because I know his character and I won't take no until he tells me so. How many times have we walked away empty handed because we've never said anything? James says, open your mouth and he just might open his hands. Psalm 16 and verse 11 says at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. But shame on us if we live our whole lives and never tap into it because we don't. We don't ask him. Here's number four. Motives matter in prayer. Right after this, James says you can ask and not receive because you ask amiss or you ask wrongly to receive it on your lust. God wants to hear from us in prayer, but God cares about why we come to him in prayer. It's nothing wrong with praying for ourselves, but we should be careful about why we petition God for the things that we do in prayer. God says, I want you to have faith. I want your speech to be consistent. 
I want you to tell me what it is that you need. But when you come before me in prayer, be sure that your motives are right and that you're doing it for the right reason. In Luke 18, Jesus told a parable. He said two men went up to the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Lord, I thank you. I'm not like other men. Unjust, adulterers, extortioners or even as this tax collector, I pray and I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the heathen, the tax collector, he wouldn't even lift up his eyes toward heaven. He smote his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, the Pharisee prayed, giving God a book report. And the tax collector came with pure motive, seeking the mercy of almighty God. God wants to hear from us in prayer, but he cares about why we approach him. He examines our motives to see what it is that we really want from him. And he's looking at us to see how genuine we really are. What are your motives when you pray? Why do you petition God for the things that you do? It's nothing wrong with praying for ourselves. But there is a sense in which our prayer should not only be about us, but how we can help and bless the lives of other people. How we can be involved in God's mission in spreading the gospel and how through the answer to our prayers, other people's lives can be changed. I don't know where I first read it, but somebody said one of the ways we can measure the depths of our prayers is this. If everything that you ever asked God for was suddenly granted tonight, who else lives would be changed? How many people would be heaven bound tonight if God answered every prayer you ever prayed? How many people would be healed? How many people would be restored? What are our motives in prayer? Is it really all about us and what we want? Or is it more about God? I've got needs. I've got requests, but I'm also involved in your mission. Your will be done on earth just like it is in heaven. Matthew six and verse 10. I want to unite with you in mission. And part of that is in the way that I pray. James says, you know why you don't get what you want from God? Look at the text. He says you ask wrongly. And then he says you want it so that you can spend it on your lust. You've really just got your own desires at heart and God won't honor that prayer. Your motives are bad. And so the answer from God is no, because if he gives you what you want, it'll be to your detriment and mine. And so sometimes God says, Hiram, you can't have that. You don't want that for the right reasons. Pride will swallow you up. You don't want that for the right reasons. It would pull you away from me. You don't really have the right motives. And so when we pray, it'd be wise to examine our motives because James says God already is. He's already looking into our hearts to see how sincere we really are, why we want the things that we want. God's okay with our requests as long as they're guided and aligned with his word. James says, make sure that you petition for the right reason. Here's number five. James says there are different occasions on when we should pray. Turn your Bible to James chapter five and notice these. This last section, these last two points, James is going to really hunker down on prayer. As Caden read for us a moment ago from verse 13 down through 18, this last section is really all about prayer. But in 13 through 16, James gives several occasions when we should be focused on prayer. He says, is any among you in affliction or suffering? Let him pray. Is any happy or merry? Let him sing. Is any sick? Let him call for the elders of the church to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. If he's committed any sin, it'll be forgiven him. He says, confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous has great power as it is working. Now, notice the three categories from James. Number one, we should pray when we're suffering. I'm glad James five in verse 13 is in the Bible. I'm glad it's there. I think that says 16, but that's incorrect. It should be 13. Aren't you glad it's in the Bible? He says, is any among you afflicted? You know what that word means? It means are you suffering misfortune? And then when you run the references, James doesn't qualify the misfortune. He says, does any among you have any misfortune or suffering? Let him pray. Misfortune about what? Have you ever had a prayer request? And thought to yourself, I wonder if this qualifies for petition to God. I mean, other people are suffering with really big things. I just kind of have a little petty issue. 
but I'm suffering discomfort. I really don't like it, but maybe I should wait to bring this one up. James says, wait a minute. Is any among you suffering misfortune? What misfortune, James? Any. Let him pray. Whatever you're going through, let him pray about it. This same word is used in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 9 about Paul saying, I suffer affliction as an evildoer. Or 2 Timothy 4 and verse 5 when he says, Timothy, endure affliction or hardship, any hardship. Your hardship may not be mine. It's still worthy of God's attention. And James says, pray about that. Number two, pray in sickness. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church to pray for him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. You never get to this section in the Bible class or a sermon. But somebody says, where's the oil? But that's not James primary focus. Notice what James says. Just stick with the context. James says, let him call the elders of the church to pray for him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Underline this at the top of verse 15. What's going to help this person? And the prayer of faith will save the sick. I don't mean to suggest there wasn't something to the oil in the first century that affected that audience. But even James in the age of the miraculous said, you know what? You know what's going to help this person when you pray? If people are sick, we ought to pray. I've never been to a congregation or been a part of one where they didn't have a prayer list for the sick. And that's right to have. But we shouldn't just put them in print. We also need to make sure we put them down in prayer. It's one thing to just acknowledge that we have sick. But then we also need to make sure that we pray. Paul said Epaphroditus was sick near death. God had mercy on him and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Philippians 2 and verse 27. And thanks be to God for Lehman being a praying church. I was already going to preach this sermon, but Neil's audible mid-sermon this morning is a prime example. I mean, right away, pray and petition God. But so many people here have suffered and been sick in various ways and to varying degrees. And yet the church has assembled and prayed. And then James says, pray when you've sinned. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. James says, when you stumble, when you make mistakes, confess your faults and then pray. First John one and verse nine, John, John says, confess your sins. And he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In those times, we need to be offering up prayer to God. Now, we're not going to take a show of hands, but who tonight has ever suffered? Who tonight has ever been sick and who tonight has ever sinned? You see what James does at the end of the letter. James is saying everybody at all times has something that they need to be praying about. There's an old hymn that is sometimes sung. It's me. It's me. It's me. Oh, Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And every Christian down through the centuries can sing that song emphatically, autobiographically, because we all have been there and are there. We're standing in the need of prayer. But not only that, congregationally, we swell together and say, God, help us in these varying areas and to varying degrees because he wants to. James mentioned several different things going on, and his solution is the same for all of them. Pray and prayer. That's how you fix it. James says this is what's going to make the difference. In the end, it's prayer. You remember a few years ago when there were several school shootings. It seems like it's happening all the time, but there was a concentrated time. And there were some people that really got up in arms about people saying thoughts and prayers with the victims. They said, we're sick of that. We want you to change laws and legislation. I'm not against that, and that's really not the point tonight. But there were some people saying that didn't really help anybody. We need to do something. Besides, we're tired of your thoughts and prayers. You need to get up and do something. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 11, Paul says, you help us by prayers to God. And many people will rejoice on our behalf because of your prayers. Prayers are help. There may be times in our lives in varying circumstances when we need to do something in conjunction with our prayers, but we can never do less than pray. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 11 that prayer is help. Prayer is doing something about it. And James says, when you find yourself in these conditions, be sure to pray. Doesn't have to be a special circumstance. If you're sick, 
If you're suffering, what suffering? Any suffering. And if you've sinned, you come to a God who already has his ear bent toward earth to hear directly from you. And he wants to help you. Now, here's the last one tonight. Number six. James says that prayer is powerful. And you already knew this. And this is really primarily in verse 16. The English translations translate this several ways. And I think it's important to see them all because they help us to see what to do with this phrase and how impressive it is. The ESV says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. The New American Standard says great things are accomplished through prayer. The King James and New King James says the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And the NIV says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and it is constructive or helpful. All of these translations are saying, guess what? Prayer from Christians, it makes a big difference. It can change things. It can change the world. Prayer changes people's circumstances. But it does matter who prays. James says in verse 16, the prayer of a righteous person. Why would James say that? Because everybody's not on speaking terms with God. Everybody's not. First Peter three and verse 12. Hold your hand in James five and go over to first Peter chapter three. The next book in the New Testament. We're coming right back to James. But just notice these parallel ideas. When Peter talks about prayer, he qualifies prayer the same way that James does. In first Peter chapter three and verse 12, he's quoting from the Psalms from Psalm 34 and verse 15. But in first Peter three, 12, he says the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. So whose prayers? The righteous. God doesn't hear from everybody in the same way, but he wants to hear from faithful Christians. Do you know it matters that we pray? Your speech and my speech needs to be consistent because if God won't hear from us because we've been inconsistent, the world is literally depending on our prayers. John Wesley might have said too much when he said all that God does, he does in response to answer prayer. That may not be completely accurate, but it's pretty close. What if you can't get a prayer through the next time you think about gossiping or slandering somebody? Just think to yourself, there may be a time right now or one to come when somebody's going to need me to intercede. And if I'm not on speaking terms with God because I'm walking in darkness, woe to me and to them. The prayers of righteous people have great power as they're working. Your prayers matter. They make a difference. And everybody in the world knows this. Everybody in the world knows that prayer makes a difference. You may not be a sports fan, but just about everybody, and at least in the United States, has heard about DeMar Hamlin recently. You remember on Monday night, the Buffalo Bills were playing the Cincinnati Bengals, and he made a tackle. As soon as he got up, he fell back down to the ground. They had to administer CPR to him right away. And he was in the hospital in critical condition. He's since recovered, but things changed rapidly. Automatically, you started hearing from athletes and coaches and commentators and analysts, thoughts and prayers. With DeMar Hamlin in a way in a sports world that I had never seen ESPN turned into the 700 club overnight. They were praying and nobody had a problem with it. I mean, they were outspoken. But there's more than that. The most impressive thing I saw during this week, Neil sent me this clip of Daniel Flosky offering up a prayer in the middle of Sports Center. He said, I, I don't know if this is the right thing to do or not. But I've heard a lot of people saying thoughts and prayers, but I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pray. And I didn't want to miss, mess up his words at all. I'm going to read you what he prayed. This is his prayer on national TV. He said, God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand that are hard because we believe you're God. We're coming to you and praying to you because we believe it has impact. We're sad. We're angry and we want answers. But some things are unanswerable. We just want to pray, truly come to you and pray for strength for DeMar, for healing for DeMar, for comfort for DeMar, to be with his family and to give him peace. 
If we didn't believe that prayer worked, we wouldn't ask this of you, God. I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. We lift up DeMar Hamlin's name in your name. Amen. And it wasn't long after that that the fellow analysts on the show with him all joined in in unison and uttered their amen. What's impressive about that is not that they prayed, but that it happened right here in the United States. Aren't we called a post-Christian nation? I mean, we've graduated beyond the need for religion, and we've been educated beyond the need of some God supernatural to intervene and help us in our greatest time of need. But what every human heart knows, whether we acknowledge it or not, are there are times in our lives when things are above us and beyond us. And in the spirit of Asa, in 2 Chronicles 14 and verse 11, we reach up to God and we say, God, we're in a tough spot. We need your help. From the ends of the earth, I'll cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. Psalm 61, 1 and 2. What the commentators and everybody in the world did is acknowledge what James said almost 2,000 years ago. That prayer is powerful and it makes a difference. James says Elijah was a man like you. He prayed that the heavens might not rain and it didn't by on the earth for the space of three years and six months. He prayed again in the heavens. They gave forth rain. James is saying Elijah was heard not because he was special, but because God is special. And if you pray the same God that Elijah served, you serve and he'll hear and answer you because prayer is powerful. It makes a difference because God wants to hear from us. Prayer got Peter released from prison. Acts 12 and verse five. Prayer calls the barren Hannah to give birth to a son when they thought all hope was lost. First Samuel one and verse twenty seven. The power of prayer gave Samson the strength just one more time to have his strength restored so that he could crush the Philistines that had taken his two eyes. Judges 16 and verse 28. Prayer gave Jesus the power to face the cross in one of his weakest moments in his earthly ministry. Luke 22, 42 to 44. Prayer has great power as it's working. And James says we've got access to that power if we would simply tap into it. The book of James is practical. What James says you can do right now. You don't have to go to preaching school. You don't have to go to college. You don't have to know any language or background. You just read the book of James. And James says this is everyday Christianity, Monday through Saturday religion, how you live before God and how you approach him in prayer. God wants to hear from us. And tonight as we extend heaven's invitation, if you are sick, if you have sinned and if you're suffering, the invitation stands open. For people to respond and for us to join in with you in prayer to God, the God who can change things. James says the prayer of the righteous, God's people, has great power as it's working. And if you have a need and you don't ask, he says, as much as God would want to help you and as freely as God would give. He can't until you express what he knows that you really do need. And maybe tonight someone here needs to obey the gospel. If you decided to do that, it'd be an answer to our prayers. Because rarely does an assembly take place here in which we are not praying for open doors and open hearts to respond to Jesus and obey the gospel. And if you do that, Acts 22:16 says you'll be calling on the name of the Lord as you're baptized into him and you rise to walk in the newness of life. If we can help you in any way, we'd love to do so. Come now as together we stand and as we sing.